This is Air Brooklyn, your host, Ben Piven, and today we've got Dr. Stephanie Higashi on to speak about the decline in U.S. life expectancy. So we'll hear from her why exactly this is occurring and what we might be able to do about it to change things around. Dr. Higashi, maybe you could just start talking about your background and then we'll take it from there. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. So I am originally from Colorado. I have an undergraduate degree in biochemistry and I'm a doctor of chiropractic and I'm the CEO and founder of Health at Last, which is an integrated healthcare franchise that offers medical chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, and we have it so that we can try to provide the very best care to patients and also try to lower and eliminate unnecessary drugs and surgery, and most definitely we have our attention on the decline in life expectancy and wanting to work and advocate for patients from a patient's education point of view of what they can do to improve that, and then also collectively working with all the health at last clinic physicians and seeing what we can do as providers to also help handle this problem. So in general, how do you believe the drop in life expectancy can be turned around? Do you think this is a function of preventative care? Uh, Is it a change in our attitude, the whole healthcare system we've got? Yeah, it's a great question. I definitely think that it's multiple aspects of it. It's not just one thing. And I think that some of the life expectancy decline the evaluation of some of the reasons that are happening, some of the things that we can do on an immediate basis, both as patient consumers and also as providers, is one of the things we're seeing is that there's a lot of medications, whether they're being asked for by patients because they see it on television saying, ask your doctor about, or whether they're being prescribed by physicians that literally have the side effect of increased suicide and death. So if we already know that these prescriptions cause those side effects, we're seeing a lot of that occur. A simple, fast, and easy solution would be patients looking and asking and demanding instead of a prescription saying, doctor, what do I need to do and how do I need to do something about the condition I have instead of taking a medication that could cause an increased suicidal tendency or death. I think that medical providers also have the responsibility to when the patient says, hey, I saw this on a commercial or my friend's taking this or I saw on Google, I want this medication, to say, you know, I understand your perspective, but here's why I think there's better or other solutions that are going to be long-term to help heal them. I know that I've had many intelligent conversations with a lot of primary care providers, family practitioners, and general physicians that have been practiced for decades. And what they've said to me is they said, Dr. Stephanie, the way you guys practice healthcare at Health at Last is how we only dream of practicing. And I said, you know, what do you mean? And I said, what happens is when we see patients and we treat patients based on this older model of patient has diabetes and we give them diabetic medication, patient has hypertension, we give them hypertension medication, patient has high cholesterol, we give them a cholesterol medication. They're going to have those diseases now five years from now, 10 years from now, 20, and even 40 years from now. And with this model being provided of care, what they said is not only are they going to still have that condition, we're now going to have to treat the complications of those conditions, meaning diabetes now has kidney failure or loss of limb or eyesight. Person with the cholesterol problem, we're now going to have to do double, triple bypasses. Person with hypertension, we're going to have to treat if they could have potential stroke. So 
instead of having that model just repeat over and over again and just treating a disease and then treating later complication of the disease, what we've decided at Health at Last is to say, okay, at last we need to come up with solutions for the patient to how can we revert diseases when we can and when it's possible. How do we educate our patients that health is a lifestyle, it's not a pill, and how do we educate them and provide the services and tools that they need, whether it be basic fundamentals, let's review your diet very thoroughly, what are you eating, what are you consuming, what are you fixing for your husband and your children, also how active are we being or not being, and what lifestyle choices are we making, and you know, what group and socialization do we have to decrease stress, like what do we do every night at the end of the day to maybe take a walk and de-stress and unplug and just kind of take some of the stress levels that we have that we know unhandled stress can cause chronic inflammation, chronic disease and increased blood pressure and other, you know, decreased immune system function. So that's really the bigger, larger picture of what we're going to have to do both as consumer patients and as providers to make the paradigm shift super simple, very easy, very natural to do to be able to stop the decline that we're actually seeing. It seems like there's so many different things that have gone wrong with our healthcare system on the insurance end, with doctors, with hospitals. Now, your contention seems to be that the number one issue is with over-prescribing medications, and we all know that medications are not cheap at all in the U.S., and that doctors often turn to them quicker than they should. So how do you convince doctors that, oh, if here's a medication that is specifically for this condition that somebody has, whether it's hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, if that person is really concerned about that ailment, that's a really sort of revolutionary, complete turnabout in their attitude about how to fix themselves. How do you convince people that they shouldn't be taking drugs that have specifically been created, tailored to those conditions which, if left untreated, could potentially become quite horrible for them. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take some education and a paradigm shift. Unfortunately, a lot of healthcare decisions by providers, not health at last providers, but just in a general whole, when you survey the medical providers and ask, why don't you do prevention? Why don't you talk about nutrition when you know that will solve this? Why don't you prescribe exercise and teaching them exercise? Like, why is this not being done? The answer is because the insurance company doesn't pay for it because we can't get paid for it, because we don't get paid and we're already barely squeaking by with a cutback in reimbursement. We mm -hmm. have to just do that. We have to see a high volume of patients. We don't have time. You know, there's even emergency room doctors who go, yeah, I'm prescribing a pain medication. I know that guy is a drug addict. I know I shouldn't give it to him, but I have 23 other beds that are way more important, so I give him a three-day dosage and tell him, get out of here. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, we need to be able to, as physicians, say, it's our responsibility. We've been given the honor and the duty to help and see what the word doctor means, which is a teacher, and teach our patients, I'm not going to do this just because it's quick, fast, and easy. I'm going to go and care about you enough to give you a life plan and a lifestyle plan that's going to help change everything. And I think patients need and want it. You know, when you ask patients, they're like, I don't want to be on all these drugs. I don't want to be on all these pills. And it does cost them. A lot of them do have to pay prescriptive co-pays or they have to stand at line as CVS or Rite Aid. You know, it's not necessarily really what the patients want. It's just they've gotten used to this so-called easy fix, which 
actually long term is just pushing the can down the street and it's going to be more of a problem later. Mm-hmm. I think that at a policy level, if we can have insurance reimbursed, and we're seeing more of it, like annual wellness visits are covered, but if we have more prevention and nutrition and talk about activities and exercises, more insurance coverage, doctors will say, hey, I do have the time because I'm going to get paid to do this and I'm going to do it for my patient. That will help on a policy level. If the doctors on a philosophical level say, what do we need to do for the greater good of our population, that will make a big difference. And then I think on the patient level, if the patient stops demanding these quick fixes, just give me a pill instead of telling me maybe I should stop smoking and maybe I should exercise and maybe I shouldn't order a caramel macchiato, you know, with extra whipped cream on the top, then those are the things that are going to have to happen. It's going to be a collaborative thing. It can't be just on the doctors or just on the patients or just the policymakers. It's going to be all of us grabbing each other's hand and going, okay, let's make this happen. Right. So what you're prescribing is not necessarily throwing all the medication out the window, but you're saying, okay, don't rush to take that medication right away. There are other things you can do, such as exercise, better diet, relieve all the other stressors that are around work life, home life, etc. It's not a wholesale dispensing of these compounds that often do help on some level treat the specific ailments we have, but a more balanced health regimen across the board? Yeah, so here's some just simple facts. The University of Chicago Medical School, they actually did a research trial in regards to hypertension and doing a chiropractic adjustment. They did it for eight weeks. They found that the people in the study, their blood pressure dropped by 12 points, which is equivalent to two blood pressure medications, and it was completely lowered. This is startling. This is amazing. This is incredible. When you survey a lot of chiropractors and even medical physicians, they don't even know about this study. And it's like, oh, my goodness, this is huge. Like, if people could lower their blood pressure without taking blood pressure medication and having diuretics and leg pain, why aren't we trying this, right? That's one thing. Second, there was, like, research that showed by going out and taking a walk and basic exercise for 20 to 30 minutes was equivalent to antidepressant medication. So I think that, yes, there's always a time and a place for medications when we need to get there, but extreme cases. However, if we can offer and know about and educate about and try the natural solution first and foremost and see if we can solve it without a medication, that all medications have side effects. There are none that don't have any. That's going to be a better approach. So I really want the audience and the population of the nation and the planet to really say, to demand for doctors, teach me and tell me what I can do first to solve this without taking a drug. And then obviously if it's some sort of thing where they have to or they're so diseased or they've gotten so bad, but even when they take a medication, it should be like, okay, what should I be doing concurrently to really help this condition and maximize and optimize my body's function? Mm -hmm. Because every patient and doctor knows once you take one medication, you have to keep taking higher and higher dosages of it or take different kinds because the body gets used to it. Solve the underlying cause. So, for example, people may be obese. Why are they obese? Sometimes it might be like, oh, I injured my knee and it hurts me to exercise, so I don't exercise. So instead of going out and exercising, I'm sitting on the couch, you know, watching some games and eating food that's unhealthy. Okay, well, let's solve the knee pain. Like, let's figure out how we need to do that, whether it be advanced platelet-rich plasma or knee cartilage injections or physical therapy, acupuncture. Like, what do we need to do to solve the knee pain? so they can then be active, so then they right. lose the weight, so they don't set themselves up for cholesterol and heart disease. So let's hear another example, Dr. Higashi, of someone who comes into your clinic, maybe this happened yesterday, 
somebody who had a specific cocktail of unnecessary drugs. And just give us a sort of colorful example of a person that you've been able to shift their focus from just taking the medication to a broader range of treatments and therapies? Yeah, then that's a great question. I can tell you one of the very common experiences, and medical doctors will agree, and so will other healthcare providers. Oftentimes what happens is a patient will come in and they'll say, okay, what are what medications are you taking? And very often they don't even know. They're like, well, I was prescribed this, I'm taking that, I don't know about that. There's this like pink pill, I don't even know what that is, and there's this purple one, and Oftentimes, the physicians don't even have like a full list and story of what they're taking, what they're not taking, what other providers are prescribed or not prescribed. One solution as we become more automated and electronic and all of that's available for physicians to just look up because sometimes it's tricky trying to even listen to what they're taking. The patient doesn't even oftentimes know. Very recently, there was a patient that came in and he said he had this very traumatic experience in his life. He was getting a divorce. He was getting kicked out of some place, and he was moving out of another state. He hadn't had any sleep. He had some alcohol, had kind of a mental breakdown, and was prescribed all kinds of very heavily psychiatric drugs and pain meds because he had headaches and pain. Fast forward, when he came to see us, it had been years that he was on this medication, even though he had never had really other incidents occur. And so we got with him and we're like, okay, was the time that all of that mental thing happening, was it because you didn't have sleep, had an overwhelmingly stressful personal situation, and you, you know, were overwhelmed? And he's like, yes. He's like, but the doctor said I had to take this for the rest of my life. And I'm like, well, let's work with our medical doctors and the psychiatrist that's prescribing this. Let's give you something natural like a prescriptive amino acids, have you change and increase your nutrition, let's review your diet. And within four weeks, he was completely off of all of the medication, all of the pain was absolutely gone, and he didn't need any of that medication anymore, and he was on to doing some different things to actually get rid of some of the toxins that had been stored in his body, and he was thrilled, happy, bright. These are common things that happen. Obviously, it comes to a point where a patient has to be ready to make those changes, um, because some of these medications that are prescribed are quite addictive, whether it be a pain med or Adderall or Ritalin or psych meds or even some of these weight loss pills are stimulants. We have to also be mindful that what's being prescribed can be addictive, and then we get to the point where we need to get the patient's agreement of like, you know, this isn't long-term going to be good for you. You may have a little bit of a dependence on it, but see what we can do to start getting you off of these things. Wouldn't you say, doctor, that it's hard to generalize? In some cases, people may really require a strong, powerful medication to do the trick. It seems like this sort of more holistic approach can be functional, can be useful when a person's ailment is not necessarily that bad and when they can have other lifestyle sort of preventative measures that can reverse things before they've gotten too bad. But Western allopathic medicine often is very good and functional at addressing things that have gotten to a point where you do require some sort of drastic surgery or transplant or strong medication, whatever it be. Ben, you're absolutely correct. With every single patient, we do a personalized program and personalized care. No way can we practice healthcare on a broad generality. It's just not going to work. We're individual human beings with individual histories and genetic makeup and conditions and diseases that we may have collected along the way or exposures to different chemicals or toxins. There is no general nobody should ever take medication or everybody should take medication. It, it doesn't work. And so it never can be a generality. 
But what it can be is a mindfulness of if and when we can do something, let's do the most aggressive conservative thing first. If that doesn't work, if we have to go to medications, let's do it. Absolutely. If a woman has a urinary tract infection, it's not going away by cranberry juice and drinking more water and being healthy. Let's get her on an antibiotic before it goes to her kidney and she gets an infected kidney. 100%. You know, you just get your arm chopped off. We need to do surgery. You, you're going to need some pain meds. Absolutely. Today, definitely, that's what exists. But what I'm speaking about is the majority of our population of patients, they're not those extreme cases. They are, well, it's a little bit elevated cholesterol. Nobody's told them to change their diet. They haven't even changed their diet. They haven't changed their activity level. Okay, why haven't we done that? Even if it's concurrent to a medication so we can get things better. It's things like that that I think are essential or important. Or, you know, someone has a back pain. Why are we first giving them medication instead of trying to see if maybe it's hard posture, maybe physical therapy, maybe acupuncture, maybe massage. Why don't we try that first? And then if and only if that doesn't work, okay, let's see what more invasive procedures we may need to do. I think that's the overall thing. But you're absolutely correct, Ben. No general medicine or generalized idea is going to ever be a solution for any patient. It has to be customized. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you exactly address the skepticism that many folks would have vis-a-vis acupuncture, chiropractors in general? There's obviously a significant number of people who are quite pessimistic about the prospects of alternative therapies to do anything for them. Do you find yourself on a daily basis sort of converting people to believe in the type of medicine that you practice? Is this an uphill battle or do you see signs of hope that people are quite routinely persuaded that you're onto something? Yeah, it's a really great question. It's never about believing. I always tell patients, you know, chiropractic, acupuncture, alternative care is not a religion. It basically does it work or not. Does it help or not? There's been some negative press and public relations about alternative things for whatever particular reason. I also at the same time know that in Asia, acupuncture has been used for thousands of years with amazing results. In most Asian countries, it's their primary source and first thing they go to is acupuncture because of how powerful and effective it is, essentially no side effects. The reason that we created an integrated health center is because let's say you were the richest person in the world and you had some sort of element, you would want the best the planet has in regards to healthcare. And really the best of the best is Western medicine, Eastern medicine, chiropractic, and massage, proper nutrition, all of that is the best. And so that's where I think that that comes to. So when we evaluate a patient, we have all the providers be able to put input on how they think that they may be able to help or not. And not everybody gets everything. You know, there may be a person who only comes in and just sees the nutritionist, or maybe there's a person who comes and only sees chiropractic. Sometimes there's some people only sees medical. But I think to answer your question is a lot of times what we've seen now is the medical profession is becoming more aware of the benefits of doing things along the lines of prevention and doing things of education, lifestyle, and doing things the most natural way. Because it is a huge, huge problem if between 70 and 90 people a day are dying because of opioid or pain medication addiction and they're like dying a day, that's huge. The medical doctors are starting to say, hey, how else can we help these people with pain because they do have pain without these opioids? And the solution is chiropractic, acupuncture, massage. It's completely drugless. They're drugless solutions. But there's been tons of literature and research showing that it's effective. 
it's not a matter of converting or having people believe. I always tell patients, why don't you try it? Give it a series of a range, you know, try three to six to eight visits at the minimum just to see how your body takes to it. And if it helps, fantastic. If you do it and you don't feel the benefits, okay, well, let's not continue along that line. But I think that a lot of patients are being seen by these providers and seeing benefits and going, wow, that fixed that. That's great. I feel better. So I think it's more of having people being open enough to try something that's not going to have the side effect of drug addiction and opioid overdose and this, like, horrific problem that even the Surgeon General is, you know, writing letters out to millions of providers saying, we've got to pay attention to this. It's a serious, real daily problem. It definitely seems like at this juncture there's, a strong emphasis in American culture, at least, on health and wellness. A lot of corporations are encouraging their employees to take a different attitude towards wellness, creating new spaces for achieving those outcomes. Now, with your model, could you explain a little bit more about the integrated medical clinic concept? What exactly does that offer your patients, and are you providing sort of a suite of medical services all under one roof? The second part of that question is how is that paid for? How is that sort of cost-effective to give so many different types of treatment and have so many different types of doctors in one facility? Yeah, Ben, those are brilliant questions. You're right. There are some companies that are starting to say, hey, we should probably do more for our employees because we'll be happier, healthier, and more productive, and it's good for the overall. And I think that change of culture is very, very good because the loss of work because of injuries, accidents, illness, it just wastes production and time and money and can cause a real problem for business owners. So that approach is absolutely phenomenal, and I think that that is what some larger corporations that have funding available are doing. But I think even if smaller companies do it, it will save them, and it will be an investment into their employees. And the employees feel it and see it, too. They're like, wow, you know, our owners and boss really care about us. They want to make sure we're healthy and happy and productive, and it's a really good win-win situation. Our Health at Last model for integration it was actually created out of necessity. It was meaning I've been in practice for over 17 years, and when I first went into practice and I asked patients, you know, what medications are you on, it was either none, maybe one to two. When I got to the point of being in practice for about nine years and I saw a patient who was 22 on 22 different medications or a six-year-old on 12 different medications and unorchestrated medications by different providers, I said, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I have to do something about this. My vision and my decision of what to do with Health at Last was to realize that the saying of, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, I didn't want mm-hmm. healthcare to be that way anymore. Because if you're a chiropractor, everybody needs chiropractic adjustments. If you're a medical doctor, everybody gets a medical prescription. And it's like, okay, what if we had an entire toolbox? Would people practice differently? And by having Health at Last, we've seen physicians practice differently. They're not afraid to refer to another specialty because the specialist is within the office. And they're able to say, hey, you know, instead of just giving you this Tylenol with codeine, why don't you go see if the chiropractor can help you or see if you can get a massage and see if we can release some of that tension and see if that'll help. Then the medical doctor will say, and then come back two or three days and let's see what's happening. And the patient says, you know, it actually really helps. Medical doctor says, okay, good, let's continue that. I'll continue to follow you and oversee your care, but let's continue that line. So, like an example of kind of one condition, how that works. 
in regards to this, people are very busy, especially New York, Los Angeles. They don't have time to go to a bunch of different providers. So what we wanted to do in this modern world is bring the best of the best under one roof in one location for patients so that patients didn't have to pay for parking at five different places. You know, they don't have to schedule and block out and take time off work. Nobody has time for that in this fast-paced world that we live in. So we have all the providers in one location at one time. So when a patient comes, if they need or want to see someone else or they want to see or need to see somebody else, they can do it right then and there immediately. So this is the convenience that I think is essential for what our patients need. And as far as who's paying for all this, how does this all work? Well, a lot of patients for the Affordable Care Act do have health insurance coverage and they're able to utilize their health insurance, whether it be Medicare, private insurances, personal injury cases, or workers' comp. But we also just have patients that just pay out of pocket with cash because they realize the value and they get benefits. And I think that says a lot because if people are willing to pay out of their pocket for a service, that service is got to be exceptional because people aren't going to pay out of their pocket for something if it isn't. Those are all the different ways and set up financial plans and payment plans if they need it. But basically, we're, we try to make it the most convenient, most effective, most efficient, best care for patients that all the collective providers could collaborate together to provide for patients for better health. Now, it seems like the current healthcare system doesn't exactly cover all the services that your center offers. What changes to the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare would you propose which might make it easier for more people to be able to come to your clinic? Yeah, I think annual wellness visits are covered, which is fantastic. I think if it was added where more coverage for discussions about nutrition, I think that would really help the patients because a lot of, I mean, we eat three to five times a day. What we put in our body is how our body works. So that would be really, really key if we had more coverage for that. More visits covered. Sometimes there is coverage under acupuncture and chiropractic. Unfortunately, in the state of California, even though the federal level included chiropractic, the state level, as an example, completely excluded chiropractic. The patients are like, oh, I finally have insurance to Affordable Care Act. Yeah, but you have no chiropractic benefits, which is discouraging and frustrating because patients are paying huge premiums every month and they're like, what? How is this not covered? Like, I know. If we could have the Affordable Care Act be more inclusive for coverage, both federal and individual local state levels, and, you know, a lot of that sometimes comes from the demands of the people saying, hey, we want this covered. Make sure this is covered. And the more we do that, I think you'll see Patients being healthier, getting regular checkups, just like how people get their teeth cleaned, if they get their health checked regularly and they maintain a relationship instead of saying, only if I'm sick I'll go, only if it's broke will I go, only if I'm in pain will I go. Instead, if they operate it similar to dentistry where it's like, hey, every six months I go to get my teeth cleaned whether I have a cavity or not, they prevent disease. In doing that, over the long-term range, our healthcare crisis will be handled, our life expectancy problems will be handled, and you'll see healthier, happier, functioning people also just economically, if people are able to produce and be at work and provide for their family, it causes less economic stress to the country and of itself because it's extremely costly when people are out sick from either surgeries or back pain or sickness or illness and we all pay for it collectively if people are on disabilities. That I think would help as a policy kind of setting. All of that sounds very idealistic and ambitious, but obviously very worthwhile if we can actually make it come to fruition. One of the 
fears that many people have these days is that the Obamacare repeal will happen and some sort of Trump care will be inaugurated a year or two down the road. What is your clinic and what are you saying on the political front about the possible threat from a new system heralded by the Republicans in the Senate and, and our president that would potentially take away insurance from 20 million people or more. Explain your take on the current political fight over health care. Yeah, that's a great question. The politics of healthcare has gone on and on and on for a very, very long time. And we have, you know, the politics of how it is in the United States versus socialized medicine in other countries. And we have different examples. And, you know, I've gone and treated in like El Salvador and Nicaragua and seen how they have socialized care and patients, you know, waiting in line. It seemed like 250 to 500 people just sitting there waiting for one doctor to see these people. There's a problem when we are only treating disease. And I think politically... There isn't going to be a one decision that's going to make everybody happy. If we cover everybody, but everybody's rates are $1,000 a month and nobody can afford it, okay, well, that's not very effective either. I think that if as policymakers and politically, if they reward health, that's going to help. People will be motivated to be healthier, and it'll then long-term range cost less. We're a nation where we kind of follow the idea of no man left behind. Let's take care of our own. And when we're prospering, let's even help others. And I think that that's what makes America beautiful. And it makes it what we do to go out of our way and make a big difference. And I want us to continue to do that. Fighting and spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars arguing I'd rather see that money spent in local health care, you know, whether it be clinics or coverage of benefits. But I think the idea of having more people have access to care, of course, is correct. But how about let's just make our population healthier and getting prevention so they have access but don't need it so badly because they're so sick. The other major, major thing that we need to do politically and individually on a local level is we need to make great to be a doctor again. When they pull the doctors and they say, do you guys want to be doctors? Would you recommend being a doctor? They're like, no. We're overwhelmed with paperwork and compliance and policies and all of these things. It's crushing the doctor's spirit where they don't have time or don't even want to practice anymore. So we could have coverage, but if no doctors want to practice, we're going to have a problem as well. So I think those are the things that the politicians, which have a heavy burden, and a lot of time that they spend talking about all of this, we really just need to look at how can we make our population healthier by having coverage that will do prevention, the underlying problem for them, whether it's, quote, Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, whether it's Trump's care or some new president's care. That's what they need to be focusing on. It's not a political issue. It's a human issue. Right. So it sounds like you are a little bit agnostic about the larger framework, politically speaking, for a healthcare system. But you must have a preference in terms of life expectancy and actually turning that around. Which framework do you think will be better for us as a country to lift that number back up for the number of years that our newborns and our people will expect to live during their lifetimes? Yeah, you are right. I'm apolitical. <laughs> My position is I definitely stand for mankind, not Republican, Democrat, socialist, all of those. The truth of it then is that if even if we give everybody the best coverage, if the people don't go to the doctor, it won't matter 
And that is a real problem. So to change this life expectancy, it's, again, it's not up to the policymakers, up to the doctors, up to the patients. It's up to all of them. The problem is even if we say, great, everybody has coverage. There's a lot of people that have annual wellness visits in their insurance but never, ever go or take advantage of it because they're like, ah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm not going unless, you know, I'm dying, I'm not going. Well, all right, well, then by the time you are dying, you're going to cost us 10,000 times more than if we would have checked and saw and detected early what was wrong and prevented it turning into a whole crisis where now it's like taxing the system instead of it being a matter of politics. It takes each person. And you're right, it sounds like a utopia, idealistic thing, but change happens by individuals making decisions. And if we collectively say, hey, neighbor, have you gone and gotten your annual scissors? Hey, mom, what about you? And we just start deciding things that just revolutionize. Everybody has a cell phone now that nobody ever had before. Things can happen. Big changes can occur. We just have to collectively agree and decide, like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. And when we start doing that as individuals, as families, as groups, as cultures, as communities, we will revert the actual Not only life expectancy, that's one thing, but the quality of life. Because no one wants to live to be old and have lots of faculties and in a wheelchair and in a senior home and can't even think or know your name. More important than the number of age is the quality of age. And that's what our focus is, is like increased function, health, and enjoyment of life. And I think that's what's really going to be important for the individual to look at that and make those decisions. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Higashi. I really appreciate your insights. Fascinating to hear how you frame the healthcare debate. I think that's a perspective that many people don't often understand that this is about prevention, not just about cure. There's a very different attitude that we should and could approach this with, but often the quick fix is opted for when people just want their pain to go away, their illness, their ailments, whatever they may be. So I'm hoping that your predictions come true and that we do realize this wholesale change in lifestyle and that maybe in a few years we'll be able to figure out how to make everyone have a a much better quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. And and Ben, I want to acknowledge you and your show and what you're doing because really it's about starting the conversation, talking about it, looking at different perspectives, and then people really just making a decision. We've seen people from the worst of health to really exceptional health. And what I would tell people is every day is a brand new day. Every meal is a brand new meal. We have opportunities to make good lifestyle choices every day, and we can reset every day, every meal. And so what I would just say is start with something simple. Start with adding extra kale and greens, make a smoothie for breakfast, go for a five-minute walk during your 10-minute break that you get for work. Start with small changes. The small changes of lifestyle changes continuously and consistently will result in magnificent, substantial changes that are sustainable. And that's what it's really going to be. And I think if we all just take on a little bit of responsibility of like, hey, what can I do? What do I need to do? to handle my health and my long-term healthy enjoyment of my health and life, that's what's going to happen. And, you know, your show is exceptional, and I so appreciate you inviting me to be able to just give that perspective of take each day, each meal, each minute or second as a reset and say, okay, hit refresh, let's make it work, let's see how we can make it better each time. We're all hoping that bears fruit. Your recipe really materializes for our health and well-being. Stephanie Higashi, thank you so much for being on Air Brooklyn. This is your host, Ben Piven, over and out.
Ciao, ciao.